Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. About, uh, it was a while ago, early 2000s, and, uh, and I was in uh, Washington, D.C. I had just arrived there with a group from California, and we were doing a mission trip there. The very first week, we were going to have, uh, uh, we were going to be at a conference, and then the second week, we were going to be going and doing ministry in, in the inner city. And it was in an area called uh, Anacostia, I believe is how it's pronounced, and uh, I had trouble pronouncing it then, so I still do now, but uh, uh, it was in that particular area. And then, uh, so, but about a day before we were about ready to head out into that area, we went and did this, uh, this little scavenger hunt. You know, you had to go around and have, find things in the D.C. mall area, and you had to have people sign it and stuff like that. Well, one of it was to find a, a government official. Um, and I, we're all from California. We don't know anything. And so we're just running around, and, and, and all of a sudden we see these limousines all lined up, and they look like tanks instead of limousines. And we're like, hey, I'll bet that's something important. And so we make our way over there, and we don't have any idea what building anything is or what anything's named, and we just made our way over there. And as we were getting there, we see these dudes in suits and stuff, and I'm like, hey, that's probably pretty important. And I go, maybe they're doing something important. So we walk over to them, and we're like, hey, uh, uh, are you with the government? Seriously, this is what we did. We were just we were knuckleheads. And, uh, and they're like, uh, yes, we're with the government. I'm like, oh, hey, what do you do? They're like, we protect people. And again, because I'm not a total doofus, I was like, oh, are you with the Secret Service? And I said, yes, we are. And like, we almost passed out. We're like, is the president here? No, he's not. I'm like, oh, okay. And I go, well, where's the guy you're guarding? We're literally trying to look into the limousines. <laughs> so funny. And I go, where's the person you're guarding? And, uh, and protecting. And they're like, in one of these buildings? I'm like, oh, that's good. You didn't tell us which one. You're passing the test, man. That's great. And I said, so, uh, so uh, you know, who, do you, who is it you protect? And he's uh, the uh, Secretary of Defense. I'm like, oh, that's an important guy. And I'm like, uh, Donald Rumsfeld? And he said, yes. I'm like, whoa, that's really, really awesome. And we began to talk, and he goes, hey, what are you doing here with all these teenagers? And I said, oh, we're from a church. And this thing goes, I'm too, and this is a church I go to. And I said, oh, it's great. And uh, he goes, and he said, hey, well, what's the second part of your week? I'm oh, we're going to this place called Anacostia. And he goes, you're going where? And I said, we're going to this place. And I started describing it. He goes, what are you doing? I go, oh, we're running around the, the projects, grabbing kids, doing stuff with kids, and telling them about Jesus. He goes, you're doing what? He goes, do you know that we are not even allowed to have the roots go anywhere near that location. When we travel with those that we're protecting, we're not allowed to go inside that boundary. And I'm like, oh, so I shouldn't go there with 14-year-olds? I said, no. Is there any way for you to change your plans? I said, no. And I said, because Jesus has this plan for us, and we're going. And he goes, okay. As he began to talk to us, he gave us some advice, and this and that, and he said, he pulls out his card, and he goes, this is my personal cell phone number. If at any time in the next seven days you need anything at all, you call me and I'll make sure you have the help you need. I was like, wow. And then I got really scared. Actually, I didn't because I'd been there several times and what a great place. But I got a question for you. How many times do we do that? We put up boundaries. We have ideas that are not God's ideas. We have fears that maybe are rational or unrational, but they have nothing to do with what God's doing. 
How many times we put God in a box because of our ideas about something and withhold the gospel and the message of Christ and the love of Christ because of ideas, because of imagery, because of culture, because of reputation. So let's look at this story. Our idea is we're going to look at very familiar stories during this series, and we're hoping to get a new perspective on them. It's like going on vacation. Chris and I just got back, and we got a lot of really great perspective on our lives because we stepped away for a while and spent time praying and thinking and talking to one another, and we got a fresh perspective. And I hope the same thing happens as you make your way through this passage. Again, it's a little bit lengthy, so whether you're reading it in your Bibles or through the outline or up on the screens, I hope you'll read it for yourself. Let's pick up now in John chapter 4, verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. I want you to underline that. Seriously, your Bible won't fall apart if you underline something in it. Underline it, because it's so important. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried, as he, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. How comforting it is to know that while he was God, fully human, fully God, he had the same needs and went through the same things as we did. He was tired, and he got hungry, and he got thirsty. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman told him, sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. (laughs) He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are not for they are the kind of worshipers the Father speak, seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Remember the significance of that. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see the man who told me everything I ever, I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they, and they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked out or you, what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of, your, of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And they stayed for two days. And because, his words, because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So I've named this passage or this message that nothing can stop the relentless and wrecking love of Jesus. That nothing can stop the relentless and wrecking love of Jesus. And here's what I want us to pull from this passage. Number one is that Jesus' love is absolutely relentless. And it tears down every th single thing we put in front of it. It tears it down. It tears down our lies. It tears down our ideas. It tears down the boundaries we put up. It tears down our mistakes. It tears down that which we question. It tears every single thing down that nothing would keep the love of Christ away. Literally wrecking everything that is not of him that is put before him so that his love can get to us and change our lives and change who we are. So let's start, not with our geography. Remember we said, now he had to go through Samaria. So he was heading back to Galilee. And it said in that passage, that I asked you to underline, now he had to go through Samaria. He actually didn't have to go through Samaria, meaning that was the only geographical way or the only trail or the only path or the only road. It actually didn't have to be that way. And it actually wasn't that way for most Jews. You, the, the majority of all Jews would not have taken that path to Galilee because they would not have wanted to go through Samaria. They would have went around the eastern side uh, to get there because they did not want to go through Samaria. They hated the Samarians. They despised them. They were left over from, uh, from when they were um, taken by the king of Assyria when they were taken uh, away from Israel, from the northern kingdom. And what had happened is when all the men had been taken away, the king of Assyria brought 
Assyrian men and men from Babylonian in uh, to Jerusalem. And what had happened is that they then became a mixed people of those who worshiped God and were Jewish and those that were not. And at that time, they became uh, idolaters. and They began to worship and combine their whole entire worship of false gods and foreign gods and foreign idols. And they were also worshiping Yahweh at the same time. It was a mixed up crazy thing that happened during the exile. And when they returned from the exile, by the time the Jews had returned to actual Jerusalem, scattered all around in this, in this land, was now a new people group that had been in Samaria, which at one time was the capital of Israel. And now it was a mixed people group of those that worshipped Yahweh and those that did not. Those that were part of the covenant of Yahweh and those that were not. But what they failed to understand was that they had then denied the worship of false gods by that time. And they had begun to worship only Yahweh. And yes, they were a mixed people group in terms of race, but they were not a mixed people group in terms of their worship. They worshiped Yahweh and Yahweh alone. And when they returned in Ezra and Nehemiah to build the temple and the wall, they came running to their brothers and sisters and they said, hey, we want to we wanna help. And they denied them. They literally sent them away and said, we don't want you. We don't want you. You're not one of us. And that began a hatred that existed till the day of Jesus. They would fight one another. They would argue amongst one another. They began to worship in different locations like the, in Jerusalem and, and, and like what with, with the, the woman at the well was talking about. That we Samaritans worship in this place and, and you Jews worship in this place because they couldn't be together even for their worship. They would attack one another's temples and they would, they would desecrate it and sabotage one another's temples. And even the Jews came and destroyed the temple of the Samaritans who their temple was devoted to worship of God because they said it was illegitimate. And yet they couldn't go to Jerusalem and worship because they weren't allowed to. Oh, the walls and the boundaries and the prejudice and the racism that was set up against the Samaritans and then shown back against the Jews. It had nothing to do with the people that Yahweh wanted them to be. And it certainly had nothing to do with the love of God that he wanted spread around the world. And so here is Jesus showing up, taking a path, and it said that he had to go this way. It meant that he went that way because he had an appointment. That God said, you will go this way. The Father told Jesus, this is your appointment set out to you. He had to go that way because he had to be in Samaria at that time because he had to be at a well at that exact hour, a wrong hour to be at a well where you would find a woman. It doesn't make any sense because all the women came, all the women came in the early part of the day when the heat wasn't at its highest. At noon, the heat is the highest. They even think that it was later in the the day. Some scholars think it was later, which would have been even hotter. She came by herself. And, if, and, and later on in the passage, it says she was from a different place, not right there, which means she more than likely passed several wells where people would know her. And she came to a well where nobody would know her because she was a disgraced individual because her sin was so grievous. And so here she was, shamed and shunned. And all she was trying to do is show up and get some water for her family. And here is Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man, showing up because the Father said, go this way. Don't you dare go around. You cross the geographical boundary. You go to the place that my people hate, and you sit at a well, and you wait 
And a woman will show up there and you will talk to her and you will break every tradition and you will break every custom. You will break every prejudice because you will talk to that woman. Which no man was supposed to talk publicly to a woman at that time. And no Jewish man would talk to a Samaritan in public, let alone a woman Samaritan. And no rabbi would ask the woman who showed up from Samaria for a drink using her utensils. I have nothing. Will you give me a drink using your utensils? <laughs> listen, to what, listen to what one person said during that time. He said that they were, uh, they were called this. They were called stupid people living in Shezem, and that the women were viewed as constantly and always impure, as if always on their menstrual cycle. The leaders had declared an entire group of people, an entire subgroup of people, meaning a gender, always impure. A rabbi would rather die of thirst than to ask a woman from Samaria for a drink of water and to use and share the same utensil she would have drank after. Go ahead, Lord, let me die before I do that. So the first thing I wanted us to see is that there is no geographical boundary that Jesus won't destroy or wreck to get to the people to tell them he loves them. There's no geographical boundary to get to us. There's no geographical boundary to get to Liberia. There's no geographical boundary to get to, you name it. The word of God and the message of God's love and his grace, there is no boundary that is set up that can keep the love of God away from it. We must cross every boundary, every political boundary, every personal boundary. We must cross every boundary to bring the love of Christ there. Why? Because Christ demonstrated that there would be no boundary that would keep him away from us. No boundary. Not the one you put into place, not the one somebody else put into place. That is the amazing part of God's love. But also that there would be no race, nationality, reputation, appearance, or culture that would keep the love of God away. That would keep the grace of God away. That would keep the mercy of God away. And it forces us to ask the question, where have we kept God's love and mercy and grace from? Where have we kept it from? Where has our prejudice kept us from delivering it? Where has our insecurities kept us from delivering it? Where has someone's reputation kept us from delivering it? Where has it happened that it never should have happened? If I had to listen to that secret service agent, if I had to listen to the many people who said you can't go to a place like that, the students who learn to share their faith, learn to look beyond color or to look beyond material possessions or to look beyond the economical lines would never have learned to give the love of Christ away regardless of race, gender, nation, economy, or boundary. And I never would have had the opportunity to walk up a path in the middle of one of the projects with a girl from my church and a young little girl who needed to go get a change of clothes. And as I'm walking up the path, 
these three very large men dressed down in their colors walk up to us and stand directly in front of us. And I said, what are you doing here? You have no business being here. And I said, well, I'm here to talk about Jesus. We're grabbing all the little kids we can and telling them all about Jesus. In fact, we're here to tell anyone who will listen about Jesus and that nothing stops his love, nothing, and that he loves this place more than maybe any other place in the world, if that's possible. He said, yeah? I said, yeah. And we stared at each other for a while. And then they parted, which is a huge deal, because when you walk up with people and their colors and everything else, you don't part the way for them, you walk around them. Or they don't part the way for you, you walk around them. And they opened up the sidewalk and they said, hey, let us know if you need anything while you're here. And we passed through. We can't. We can't let prejudice, we can't let race, we can't let gender, we can't let anything get in the way of declaring the love of Jesus Christ, of bringing it into people's lives, because Christ never failed to demolish, to break, to wreck every single boundary in bringing us God's love. He wrecked every single one. He also... He also wouldn't allow our questions. We saw two times in there that the woman asked questions about the drink and about, light, about water and about the living water. And we saw that she asked questions about where will you worship. And we saw that she asked another question later on. And she was asking these questions. But Jesus didn't allow her questions to get in the way of offering her life and salvation. Didn't, offer her, didn't allow her questions to get in the way of giving her everything she needed, including living water where she would never thirst again. Giving her value and worth. Of asking her for that cup to get water that says, you are so valuable to me. My love for you is, originates in who I am, but it accepts you the, exactly the way you are because I love you. Your questions will not keep me from you. Your questions, I will answer every single one of them. Just follow me, be with me, enter into a relationship with me. And he says the same thing to each one of us. So often, instead of walking with Christ, we allow our questions to keep us from going forward. And we allow our questions to keep us from moving where he wants us to move. What if Brett would have said, I can't do this. How am I gonna survive? Where's my income gonna come from? I went to school. I paid all sorts of money to become a counselor and a teacher. And what will you do? We may not have all the answers to everything that is before us, the Lord will provide an answer as we go. He will direct us and he'll lead us. And all along the way, Brett has been taken care of. His family's been taken care of. And the Lord has been providing answers all along the way about how he will lead him. We cannot allow questions to keep us from following Christ. We can't allow questions to keep us from saying yes to God. We can't allow questions to keep us from giving Christ and who he is to other people. Well, they have questions I can't answer. Well, the Lord can answer them. Just tell them what you know. Tell them about the graciousness and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ, and he will take care of their questions along the way. Don't let questions keep you from following the Lord, and don't let questions keep you from telling someone else about his great love. And finally, she would not allow sin, he would not allow sin to keep him from her. Everyone else caused her sin to keep them from her. 
She was isolated. She was alone. She was ostracized. She was humiliated. And Jesus went to her. And he said, I love you. Just the way you are. Your sin can no longer keep you from God. I'm here to pay the price, the penalty, to be who you need me to be. Remember in Romans 8, it says, Therefore, thou is, there, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. I'm going to ask the band to come back out. Because this one isn't about you declaring the message to somebody else. Although I sure hope you'll never allow somebody's sin to keep you from declaring the message. I sure hope you'll never allow somebody's sin or that which they're entangled into to keep you from giving away your faith. But have you kept the Lord at a distance because you're not convinced that he will use you, that he will love you, that he will truly bring you into the kingdom because your sin is so bad, it's so grievous, because your sin is that which will keep the Lord away? This passage is declaring for us that nothing can keep the Lord away from you. That nothing, there is no sin, no moment, no thing, no act, no thought that is so bad that he won't literally wreck it and pay the price for it and love you in spite of it. We brought a girl to church. Her name was Michelle and I knew a lot about her past and who she was. She was literally the, the modern day example of the woman at the well. All she did was run from man to man and to relationship to relationship, seeking to be loved, seeking to have value, seeking for worth. And she sat during the service we brought her to and she just wept and she cried and she buried her head in her hands the entire service. And she said, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I can't have a relationship like you guys are talking about. I can't have that. She goes, you don't know all that I've done. And I said, I know a lot that you've done. And he looks past it. He takes care of it. He takes you just the way you are. And he says, that can't keep you from, that can't keep him from you. And she goes, no, there's no way that somebody can forgive me. There's no way that a God would forgive me. And she walked away. And to this day, I still don't know if she has ever allowed God to love her and to receive his love. And then Chris comes to me and he says, you don't know what I did, man. And I said, oh, I do know what you did. He goes, man, I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. I knew how to follow the Lord. I had my wife and my kids. I'm an educated man with an MBA and my CPA and I'm a, a CFO. And man, I, I cheated and I stole and I embezzled money. And I have wrecked and ruined everything. There is no way that God can use me from this point forward. I said, oh, don't forget the end of Romans 8, my friend. That nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That nothing in all creation, no matter if it comes from us or somebody else, can separate us from the love of Christ. Oh, there's going to be a penalty to pay like the three years you're going to spend in federal prison. There's going to be a penalty to pay like everything you're going to lose financially and everything that you're going to lose materially. There's going to be a price to pay. Your family's going to have a difficult time trusting you. There's going to be a price to pay. 
There's going to be consequences. There's no doubt. But you will never lose the love of Jesus Christ. You will never lose it. It is always there for you. And today he walks in victory. Today he walks in that truth that there was no sin that could keep God from him, that there was no sin that could separate them. And so today he walks in absolute surrender of his life, knowing who he is in Christ, knowing how much he is loved, knowing that he is today a child of God, the living God. He today no longer works as a CFO, no longer works in the business world. He's a facilities manager at a church. And he said, Tim, all I want to do, he's such a dear friend. He said, all I want to do is serve people. All I want to do is give my life to others. Because Jesus gave his life for me. Do you get it, church? Do you have a fresh perspective? Nothing. Nothing would keep the love and grace of Jesus from making its way into our lives. And may it be that nothing keeps us from giving it away to somebody else. That wherever he says to go, there's no boundary we won't cross. Whatever he says to do, there's no question that will keep us from doing it. Whoever he says to love and to give ourselves for, that there will be no race or gender or socioeconomic class that would keep us from going. And that ours or any other sin would keep us from saying, yes, Lord, here I am. We're going to remember what he did. We're going to remember that he gave his life so that we could have this life. We're going to remember that he gave his life so that we could offer his life to others. We're going to remember because he said, when you gather together, remember what I've done. And so we've remembered in story today. We've remembered through his word today. And he says, I want you to take this bread and I want you to take this cup. And I want you to remember that I gave my body for you and I gave my blood for you so that we would never again be separated. And that you would always be my sons and my daughters. And so during this next song, would you come forward and just grab a cup and grab the bread? And would you make your way back? And during the song, would you think about that incredible love that wouldn't stop for anything to make its way to you? And would you ask the Lord to give you a vision for taking that love into the furthest reaches of the world and right next door? And then I'm going to come up after the song and we're going to take it together and celebrate being sons and daughters of the great God. So when you're ready, just make your way forward. And just so we would never forget that nothing could keep him from us. He said, you remember, every time you take this bread, you remember that I gave my body for you. I gave my life for you. I gave it for you because I love you. Let's remember. And then he took the cup. And he said, this is, represents my blood. For that's where life is. I give my blood to make sure you know that we will always be together because my covenant, my blood lasts for eternity. It'll pay the price for your death that you might live with me, but it is a life that extends into eternity. Every time you take this, you remember that you are mine you are my son. You are my daughter. You're no longer chained to this life and the, and the crazy craziness of our sin and the penalty that is waged against us. 
You are set free and you are mine. And nobody can take you out of my hands. And so every time you take this, you remember that truth. Let us remember. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are your sons and daughters. And we are no longer slaves to this life and the thoughts of this life and the customs of this life and the prejudice of this life and the boundaries of this life. But we are your sons and daughters. We are yours.